I wrote a piece of software, but I designed it in a way that uh, when someone will see it, it will bring him value or bring her uh, more value than the software he could have built himself. So it's not about integration, make just thing work and we don't care about what's behind the scene. No, no, no. It's about how I'm, I'm sure that something has been produced to give me more value than if I did it myself. From Toro Cloud, this is the Coding Over Cocktails podcast, a free pool of thoughts and ideas from IT experts, thought leaders, and authors sharing their insights and advice for individuals architecting solutions for the ever-changing landscape of enterprise tech, digital transformation, and more. Welcome to episode 65 of the Coding Over Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Montalvo. Our guest for today is an entrepreneur author, and investor in software in the API industry. He founded the popular API Days conferences in 2012, the main series of conferences on APIs and data portability. He is now the co-founder of Alias, a data protection API engine, and was the co-founder of the API identity portability platform OAuth.io, acquired in 2017. He also has several books and reports under his name, which include Continuous API Management, which we'll be talking about today, the State of the API Industry Landscape 2022 report, and Regulating Big Tech, Empowering the Many by Regulating the Few. Joining us today for a round of cocktails is Mehdi Majawi. Hi, Mehdi. Welcome to Coding Over Cocktails. Hi, Kevin. I'm really glad to be there. And thank you very much for having me. All right. We're, we're glad uh, that you're with us. So let's dive into the questions. You're one of the co-founders of the API Days conferences. So can you tell us a bit about your role as chairman? And more curiously, how did you come to find or found this conference? So uh, we were in 2012, um, let's say the new, let's say, protocols enabling to have APIs that was uh, to be really, really easily implementable compared to previous protocols uh, was coming up like REST, JSON, especially. Uh, and so, yeah, so we wanted to evangelize um, larger companies about this new digital transformation that was completely API-led or API-enabled. And when we tried to pitch, yeah, you, do you know about APIs? You know, they're, um, with recent technology, there are new ways to interface software with each other and to connect, become marketplaces, platform. Wow, nobody understood anything. They were relying on old protocols that were not really be able to be opened. Uh, you know, like the SOA software oriented architecture, um, service oriented architecture, but that was not really made to be opened. But we've seen some companies like Twitter, Flickr, uh, Google, Facebook, like having opening, having opened APIs and, and being really successful. So we said, okay, we need a conference. We need a conference to attract developers, architect, business managers to understand what we call the API mindset. So we started in 2012 and uh, we made a first conference. It was just, let's say one Google group. Do you remember Google groups? Yeah, Google groups, yeah. Yeah, we had at the time and it was funny, it was trendy. And so it was mostly the API craft Google group. I just post, posted something and said, look, let's meet in Paris uh, for Christmas. Let's meet all together. We never met in each other. So let's meet together. And we, we started like most, mostly as an international meetup. And after the conference, I said, okay, do you want to organize your own in your own country? I will help uh, and I will be highly involved. And Spain said yes. San Francisco said yes. Uh, Berlin, uh, Melbourne. And so finally, we have now 10 conferences a year in 10 different countries. And so far, we attracted like 300,000 people uh, online or in, uh, in person at APIs conferences, pushing the API mindset for all and on the technical side, but also on the business side, because we need business people who have the budget to, <laughs> to fund, let's say, uh, the IT side of APIs. 
Right. That was interesting what you said there that uh, you started out as an international community already. And I would imagine that the pandemic really affected how you ran these API Days conferences. So did you continue to run the conferences during the pandemic? Did, uh, were you able to, you know, continue them on an online remote basis? Or was this one of the early, you know, formats that you had already? And were you already skilled enough or experienced enough at running this at that level? So, uh, you know, we have, we have Twitter, we have email, we have YouTube. So the goal was to really, before the pandemic, the goal was, as we said, and I start every API Days conference like that. The goal is to connect the humans behind APIs, the humans behind interfaces, right? Uh, so we wanted to have to be in person. We didn't want to stream. We didn't want to be a, a virtual or live. We wanted people to be there. But with the pandemic, actually, we had the question, do we, do we stop or do we go at a higher level and we fulfill and we continue to fulfill our mission? is to connect human behind APIs. The only way was to do it virtually. And so, yes, we said, okay, we follow our mission and DNA. And finally, we went online for two years. Uh, the community followed. It was great because now we could have speakers we, could have, we, we couldn't have before because of travel, because of busy timing. Attendees from worldwide, the event could be free because online, you know, it costs less. So we can completely make it free to make it more accessible for underserved uh, people worldwide. And now we are back in in-person plus virtual like hybrid this year. But yeah, I think all conferences will need to be virtual at some point. Hybrid or, uh, but the full, full in-person only will be will be difficult to to support, I think, for events. And we've seen already conferences stop. We've seen so many conferences just stopped. We are glad to to survive. <laughs> We're glad that, uh, because the community is there and the sponsor are there. And yes, we really want to thank all the community to have been supportive during these two years. Yeah, and I bet they missed, you know, all that traveling, you know, uh, that airport food and the hotel food, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, in 2019... You also co-founded Alias, which aims to help companies ensure that they are GDPR compliant. Now, I know most of our listeners would be already be familiar with GDPR, but for the uninitiated, can you start with a brief like refresher or explanation of what uh, GDPR is and how it affects companies collecting data on individuals? Yeah, let's say GDPR, it's it's a law, it's a regulation applying to every people, every company who uh, interact with European citizen data or people who are on the territory of Europe. So it can be an American, but based in Europe, right? And it obliges you, if I, I, I try to make it simple, but it obliges you to know at any time what is the data you collect? How do you collect it? Is it compliant? Like, does it follow a specific what we call legal base? And where is the data? How it will be processed by which company, which uh, sub-processors that they call it? And so you have a really, really good view about what you do with the data. Just imagine like the ingredient list on a, when you buy, for example, a cornflakes or when you buy a specific ice cream or whatever, you can, you can go back and look at and look at behind. What's inside? So the goal is the same with GDPR, but with personal data. And so now every company needs to be compliant if they want to interact with European citizen data. But the thing is, USA now has many laws who are following GDPR. China has a law following GDPR. Singapore, India, Australia, and 60 countries have GDPR-like regulations. So it's not only Europe, it's worldwide. And just to say, by the end of the year, two-thirds of the world population will be under GDPR regulation. So it's almost any business who wants to interact with personal data will have to follow these regulations. And what we do, we try to make it really simple, we do a, an, um, a data protection engine. Just imagine, it's like a... AI lawyer that gives you what to do and when to do it. We just put sensors. You put sensors in your code, databases, apps, SaaS, whatever. 
and you send it to our engine, you send the events, what's happening, right? What's happening, a user clicked here, a user opened a newsletter, a user buy the product. The engine just analyzes it. Oh, you just bought a product. Now you, ha- you can keep the data according to the law. You have to keep the data at least five years, not three years anymore. So we give you these insights about what you have to do according to the 60 regulations. So our baseline is like interact, integrate with Elias engine and, don't, and continue to not worry about GDPR anymore. So that's what we do. Right. And I took a glance at your website. And uh, in order to help companies become GDR, GDPR compliant, you've done a couple of APIs on your side, which are first the PII, Storage Duration API, please correct me if I'm wrong, and the alias GDPR Events API. Can you run us through uh, what these APIs do for companies? So, uh, you know, it's like for food, you know, when you are a restaurant and you have food, you have a, a, st- a specific date, you can, you can continue to sell it over a specific date after it comes, it becomes not proper for consumption. The, the regulation put the same for personal data. Uh, so you can't keep personal data forever. You have to declare how long you keep it or by regulation, you have to keep it for a certain time and non, not anymore. We help you to know what, for what type of data, where it's stored and how did you collect it? A lot of variables. But we help you say, oh, this data in this context is two years, but in this other country, the same context is five years, and this country in the same context is three years. So we give you like the whole jurisprudence, all the legal cases to tell you without knowing the law, what you have to do with the data. So that's the storage duration API, the PII storage duration API. And the events API, it's an API that enables you that listen to the events that happen in your system. And gives you the, uh, that enable maximize, maximization of use of data according to the law. So we look at all the laws available in the country and we tell you, okay, if the user, for example, when the user becomes a customer from prospect to customer, you have the right to keep the data for longer, but you have also the obligation to keep some data for five years of 10 years. Just an example, invoice in France, you have to keep the invoice for 10 years and everybody forget that. Uh, so yeah, we, we give you these insights and in machine readable, readable way. And we tell you, yeah, the user data, you have to have to write to keep it for three years for marketing purposes, but the invoice data is 10 years for legal reasons. And so we give you all these insights as a lawyer would do, but the lawyer is like $400 per hour, just give you one insight. And we give you millions of insights for millions of users, uh, uh, like, uh, for the same price of a lawyer. Yeah. So do you have like individual lawyers working for you who are, you know, looking at all these international laws and all these um, regulations that are, I, I, I'm pretty sure they're different for each country, right? Yeah, they're different for each country. Even in Europe, where it's the same regulation, it's not the same for all the type of data in Poland, in, in France, in Germany, in UK, in whatever. It's, it's different. So yeah, so we have a team of uh, PhD in law and lawyers who does the job all day about analyzing all of this. Of course, there are some legal base, legal databases that we can look at. Uh, there is laws. So, so we do the work for all. We do the work once. For all, and we deliver it by an API instead of having incomplete infos in many, many lawyer firm that actually you pay their training. You say, okay, look for this and you pay their time of learning. No, no, don't, you don't have to pay for learning. You pay for the advice. And this is why we think an, uh, an engine giving you the advice in real time on the fly with accumulated knowledge is the solution to really lower the barrier of being compliant and lower the barrier of knowing the law uh, um, at scale. Yeah, and the work doesn't stop there because on your website, it says that the data processor API is coming soon. Can you give us a sneak peek of what this data processor API will do in the future? 
Yeah, the, uh, actually, when you uh, when you collect data, you can process it yourself. So you treat it yourself. You do a specific AI algorithm. You store it uh, in your own CRM. But if you use a third-party CRM like Salesforce or HubSpot or uh, another one, it's called a subprocessors. So you have to be sure this subprocessors respect and is also compliant, right? So when you, for example, some countries does not allow don't allow their data to go out of the country. You know, they don't allow, for example, children data to go out of the country. If you put this data in a SaaS platform or in a YAS or PaaS platform, actually you're not compliant because some of these SaaS platforms replicate data outside the country. So, so this data processor API helps you to know if you put data there, uh, like what, what does that imply? Does the data go out of the country or not? And so uh, does are you compliant if you use that service or not? Oh, okay. So I'm just curious on whether actual SaaS companies and iPaaS or what have you, uh, these as a service companies, do they approach you as well? Or is it more of a business to company or business to client engagement? Like, are you more engaged with customers or businesses themselves? Or do you have like clients from the as a service side of the equation? Yeah, m- most of the company now have are as a service at some point. They all, all deliver a software as a service website or application or whatever. But yeah, no, our, our goal, uh, how we do operate, we, we give APIs for developers because internally developers have to do the compliance. So data protection officers tell what to do, but developers do it. You know, that's, that's, that's their job. But sometimes they are lost. So they found our APIs and they say, okay, they talk to their data protection officer and say, look, it seems these guys have done APIs that does the job, right? So let's, uh, let's, let's work together and, and let's, uh, and let's implement, uh, alias APIs inside our IT system. So we have sensors and we can really handle this in real time. So that's, that's mostly how it works. It's, we are a B2D, like business to developers. But after the developers are onboarded, they tell their managers about like, yeah, this is the way to do, right? You know, so that's how it works. Yeah. And uh, of course, they'll ask them if they're willing to pay, right? Anyway, uh, you've co-authored the book Continuous API Management with Eric Wild, Ronnie Mitra, and Mike Amundsen. The latter two, they've been guests of the show, actually, uh, friends of the show. And I assume that this book and your experience with APIs has fueled you know, the growth of your company, Alias. But before we dive into the specific topics of said book, can you tell us some of the key updates that you've made from the first edition that, did, that compelled you to come out with this brand new second edition? Yeah, the Second edition, uh, uh, you know, you, sometimes you have to version APIs when something new is is out. So why not versioning books and APIs, right? So that's that's the joke we had internally uh, with the team. But but yeah, no, in this new version, so of course we keep the same core principle of the first version. But the second version really adds more. Uh, actually, listening to feedbacks of uh, readers of the first edition, it adds more how to and more uh, how to apply and 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 really concrete uh, methodologies or concrete cases, more practical stuff. So that's the first part. There's also second part, uh, another new chapter, which is on API styles. A lot of people were telling us about yeah, but you did you didn't help us to decide about uh, between REST to GraphQL or Hypermedia APIs or even driven architecture or stuff like that. So uh, we added a new chapter dedicated in that for people to understand that continuously managing APIs is the same methodology and philosophy, whatever the protocol, the format, the vocabularies you use and everything or this API styles. But it helps to remind that some specificities about managing GraphQL APIs versus managing REST APIs or whatever. So yeah, mostly more practical stuff, more, uh, let's say, updated numbers or updated on principles, more methodology and practices, but also more uh, uh, a new chapter on API styles. 
Right. You talked about API styles. I'm going to go back and circle back to that question later on because I'm interested about this third chapter into which delves into why we consider APIs as a product. So we've been talking, we've been hearing about API as a product a lot, not only in the show, but a lot in uh, blogs on LinkedIn and in other podcasts as well. So why do you think it's important for companies and IT teams to realize that this perspective of having an API as a product perspective within their organization would be essential to create or form an API strategy. Let's say the, the real API as, as a product shift um, came really when we stopped thinking about APIs for integration, but APIs for consumption. You know, you consume a product, but you integrate a, a technology or service or whatever, right? And so integration is just about making things work technically. Product and consumption means that I consume because it brings me enough value, right? So this is what I love. Um, I think it's uh, Amancio Buza who say he call APIs VPIs, like value proposition position interfaces. Even if it's internal APIs or external APIs, the API product mindset is say, look, I wrote a piece of software, but I designed it in a way that uh, when someone will see it, it will bring him value or bring her uh, more value than the software he could have built himself. So it's not about integration, make just thing work and we don't care about what's behind the scene. No, no, no. It's about how I'm, I'm sure that something has been produced to give me more value than if I did it myself. And this is why we've seen the success of companies like Stripe and Twilio and Segment, SendGrid, Avalara, who all thought APIs as a product to be consumed by others in a, let's say, a digital supply chain, right? So that's really this idea. And this API product mindset changed a lot of things in, inside in the business teams because the business teams say, look, yeah, actually we can be a marketplace. We can be a platform. We can have outstanding, how I call it, programmable business models, uh, you know, uh, to make business by opening software to others. And mostly the API economy is the as-a-service economy, right? You Consume what others are doing to focus on you on what you do what you do the, the best. But you will open what you do the best as APIs because to be consumed by others so they can focus uh, focus on their own uh, um, core businesses. And that's you know it it took 100 years to happen in the classic uh, uh, industry you know brick and mortar industry with supply chain. It took us two decades to do it in the software industry. And now we see so many APIs as product companies and they are outstanding. And they are achieving um, a lot of value at scale because of this capability to be self-service, to be easily consumed, to be developer-friendly. And so people come, discover the documentation, discover the value, integrate. If it's well documented, they don't even talk to a human about support. And it goes like that. You become a platform because people come consume and come and consume in self-service. And so like this, you accumulate value at scale. Right. And uh, shout out to Amancio Buza, who's uh, been in the show twice already. So <laughs> nice shout out there. And now I want to circle back to what you said earlier about the API style section, because this is something that is a favorite topic amongst uh, our readers on uh, the Toro Cloud blog and on our knowledge base developer. In hindsight, actually, uh, we're going to have a JMS versus Kafka smackdown soon. Uh, so not a different technology, sure, but uh, we're going to cover these in the future. But anyway, uh, you have a API style section, which is a new addition, and you explored the five most common API styles you've observed from companies all over the world. So can you give us a quick rundown of what these are and why you think they're, they're, they've become and they've emerged as the most popular API styles? 
Let, let's say, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a chapter wrote by Eric Wilder. So uh, he can, he can definitely go deeper on, on that one. But the thing is, yeah, let's say you have, you have really different style. You have the one, what the hypermedia APIs that a lot of people had a lot of uh, hope in the early t- 2010s because it was pushed by Royal Fielding philosophy and REST philosophy and architectural style is the fact that you can uh, interact with other APIs by referring them uh, to, to, uh, to every resource with links. And so like this, we kind of have a web of APIs. So it works well internally, but let's say it has been hard to implement, but this is a style that really is, is beautiful uh, for the mind. Then you have a kind of the CRUD style, one of the people use the most, like the, you know, uh, get, post, put, delete, and, you know, having, uh, respecting some of REST uh, 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 verbs, but uh, let's say mostly interacting with a, uh, in a, in a CRUD style. Uh, you have the query style, you know, like the GraphQL mostly, uh, SOAP at the time, GraphQL now, uh, that, that really en- enable to interact with different systems with the query language that enable to uh, interact faster. This style is great when you control the backend and the frontend, right? So, you know, so when you control the backend and the frontend, you, you're, it's a kind of a highway. You know what you're doing. You know it not will be open to everyone. You, you know, you just, it's a really controlled environment. And so you, you, you don't have to anticipate future use cases. Mostly it's, it's really for, uh, some use case that you, that you understand better. There is also the even driven architecture aspect, you know, the streaming kind of APIs or, uh, uh, that, uh, that are there. And now that's great because with now more and more services interacting with each other, if you have to pull every API all the time, say, look, hey, did, did you have something new for me? No, okay. Did you have something new for me? Okay. It consumes a lot of resources and make the word network quite busy. So now you can subscribe to some APIs and say, look, when something is new, just send me a notification, like broadcasting, you know, streaming, broadcasting new, uh, news. And so if you are signed up to the news, okay, you receive it. And so you can... Uh, manage it accordingly. And we see a lot and a lot and a lot of traction in these event-driven APIs. Uh, you know, like some people in the software will say, yeah, we've done that the three years ago, but it was with different styles, different technologies that was not enabling to do it, um, uh, to really do, do it at scale. So, uh, yeah, so they're really, um, uh, different style, uh, at there. You have the RPC style, which is really about, uh, calling a remote function, uh, you know, and having the ability to, uh, uh, to, to, to request, to, to request a specific, uh, uh, function of an API and, and, and get the answer. But again, with this RPC style, the thing is, you can have some issues about naming, you know, if you don't respect some conventions and everybody call the function, they uh, method the, the way they want and you don't respect some, uh, let's say conventions like, uh, uh, some, uh, rest conventions. It can be, it can be difficult. But for example, um, Slack has a great RPC style API, right? You know, it's, it's mostly made for bots. You know, it's really about interactions, uh, you know, a specific functionalities over the network and it's not about resources it's about bots who does a specific task and the rpc was really successful for them but i really invite you to uh, to go more on the chapter and dive the style the style a little more all right so fantastic thoughts there Mehdi. and we appreciate the energy and passion that you put through for the growth of apis and the industry in general uh before we end the episodes can you tell us how listeners can reach out to you follow you learn more about what you do and of course read the book uh, continuous api management 
So you can, uh, of course, you can reach me on LinkedIn with my first name, last name. Uh, you will find me uh, on Twitter. I'm Medjawi, M-E-D-J-A-W-I-I. Uh, so that's uh, my handle on Twitter. Uh, you can sign up to API Days conferences on apidays.global. Uh, website and you will you will be able to register for free for online events or hybrid events or if it's in your region go in person and so we can meet and just to say we we try to have book signing to our in-person events so if you also want a book uh, if you want to buy it online you of course you can if you are uh, in a hurry but if you want to meet uh, me mike eric and ronnie for a book signing you can come to api days in-person events and we would love to uh to sign a book and offer you a a complimentary version uh so yeah and last thing i wanted to say is the 10 years of api days 10 years of conferences so this year is quite special. Uh, this year is quite special. And for at the end of the year, we will try together all the top API influencers, some most of your past podcast speakers uh, in an event in Paris. Uh, we, we expect like 4,000 people in person. Uh, we, we, we will, we, we've, we've booked the, let's say the French city of science and industry. It's like a huge thing, like a museum of, of science to really talk up the next 10 years of software. You know, the past 10 years was, you know, the, 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 the rise of APIs, but what will be the next 10 years? So we will talk about that for the 10 years of API days. Looking forward to that and hoping to see you soon in person as well, Mehdi. Thank you very much yeah, for joining maybe. the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Coding Over Cocktails. To our listeners, what did you think of this episode? Let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. On behalf of the team here at Toro Cloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding over cocktails. Cheers!